0: What I want to do this afternoon is talk about the first two stanzas of Psalm 119, stanzas Aleph and Beth, verses 1 to 16. And um, I think what we can say about the first stanza of the psalm is that the, the theme is uh, pretty much uh, uh, stated in verse uh Five, oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. But that has to be taken in connection with verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. So that what you have here is the psalmist uh, expressing his desire to be conformed to the law of God so that he may be blessed. He longs for the blessedness then or the happiness of those who are undefiled in the way. And we can divide the stanza into two parts. You can see that pretty clearly, I think, here. In the first four verses, the psalmist speaks quite objectively. That is, he doesn't speak personally, nor does he talk about specific persons other than himself, but he states general truths. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. These are things that are... um, True at all times and for all people. Those are the kinds of things we find in verses 1 to 4. But then in verses 5 and following in the stanza, he talks about himself. And he takes those general truths of verses 1 to 4 and he applies them to his own life. And that's why he begins there, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. So that's how we're going to divide The psalm, Uh, we're going to divide it up into verses 1 to 4, about those objective truths that he talks about there, and then verses 5 to 8, where he makes a personal application of the truths to himself. Now, there are, I think, two truths there in verses 1 to 4. The first one is stated in verses 1 to 3, and that's really the blessedness of those who are keeping the law of God. And the second one is in verse 4. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. What we want to do is look briefly at each of those truths, but then also see the relationship between them and especially ask the question, why does he say in verse 4 what he does? So let's uh, talk first then about verses 1 and 2. We'll take verse 3 a little bit on its own. He uh, begins with that word blessed in both verses 1 and 2. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, and blessed are those who keep his testimonies. As we've talked about before, those uh, there's two, there are two Hebrew words that are translated in the New King James as blessed. And you'll find the distinction made in some of the translations. Some of them will have blessed for one word and happy for For another word, I think, in fact, that uh, some of the translations have the word happy here. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to distinguish between these two different words in the Hebrew, blessed and happy. The problem with that word happy is that it's such a weak word in the English. And um, it's so weak, in fact, that it hardly fits into... A biblical context. It's weak, I think, for two reasons. In the first place, of course, it's weak because you can be happy about many, many different things. The wicked are happy about lots of things, in fact. But when you talk about being blessed and the happiness that goes with being blessed, you're obviously talking about being blessed, as the psalmist does here, in the way of righteousness, in the way of faith, in relationship to God, and that's the other uh, thing that makes that word "happy" so weak. Happiness can come from for us can come from many different sources. We can um, be happy about our job, or we can be happy about our family, or we can be happy about the money we're earning, or we can be happy about hundreds and hundreds of different things but when we talk in the scriptures we're talking about being happy in god happy in our relationship to him and so it's kind of a toss up for me whether to translate the word blessed and match the translation of the other hebrew word or whether to distinguish the two words by using happy i don't know of any other translation that would fit english translation that would fit that second hebrew word but we have the one that's sometimes translated as "happy" here, and he's talking then about about blessedness. He's talking about bless, blessedness in relation to God. He's talking about that blessing which has its a source in God. That happiness which has its source in God. Now, notice what he says then about this: those who are blessed, they are. He describes them in four different ways in these two verses. They are the undefiled in the way. They walk in the law of the Lord. They keep his testimonies. They seek him with the whole heart. So he's very obviously talking about happiness in the way of keeping God's commandments. He's saying that's the way of happiness. That's the way of blessedness. Here's if you want to be a blessed and happy person, here in this life then the way to that blessed and happy state is to be undefiled in the way to walk in the law of the Lord to keep his testimonies and to seek him with the whole heart that's the state of blessedness for the psalmist now we'll go on then to uh, verse 3 and pick that up a minute and see that in relation to Verse, verses 1 and 2, they also, he says, do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. Now, you can take that two ways if you stop and think about it for a moment. You can say, well, he's just, he's just talking here about um, who these undefiled in the way. He's just given us two further descriptions. He's given us four in verses 1 and 2, and here he gives us two more. One of them being especially that negative, they do no iniquity. But there's another way to look at it, and I think that's actually the better way to look at it, and that is that he's further describing not those who are blessed, but he's describing their blessedness. So he's saying here, this is their happiness. This is their blessedness, that they do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. So he equates their blessedness with their uh, walking in his ways. He says these two are equivalent. He doesn't say blessedness results from walking in the Lord's way. He says blessedness is walking in the Lord's way. Happiness is walking in the Lord's way. I think that's what, how we should understand this. Here's our happiness that we keep the commandments of God, that we do no iniquity. And I think that's very important because it makes us understand how central then it is to our place in the world, to our happiness in the world, that we do no iniquity. That's where we find blessedness, in doing no iniquity, in walking in his ways. So, if you look at it that way, then I think you can see also why he adds to this in verse 4. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Now there we have the second truth that's stated in the first four verses of the stanza. And it seems almost out of place. He's just been talking about how it's blessed to keep the commandments, how it's blessed to be undefiled in the way. And now he goes and he says, you have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Why would he bring that in? Well, I think the point he's making is that our happiness consists in walking in his ways because of this commandment. This commandment to keep his precepts diligently is the commandment by which he has defined, the Lord has defined our place in the world, our function in the world, our place in relation to him. And so he goes back to this very basic truth You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently because that's a truth that is foundational to us here in this life. The foundational truth of our lives is that when God created us already, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he said to them, you have to keep my commandment, giving them that one commandment, that we all know very well, but also a couple of others, commanding Adam, for example, to cleave to his wife and to tend the garden. Those are some of the other commandments. He commanded them to keep those precepts diligently. And in doing that, he said, here's what has to characterize your life. Here's how you remain blessed and happy in life. Here is your primary function in life. Keep my commandments diligently and then you will be happy and blessed. In fact, make the keeping of the commandments your happiness. As the psalmist says in other parts of the psalm, of course, he says it more than once. I have rejoiced in your commandments. Your law is my delight. I love your law and so on. He has all these expressions of delight in the law. And it's because he finds his happiness in that way of obedience. He doesn't look to that way of obedience then as a means to blessing, but he looks at the way of obedience as the blessing itself, as the happiness itself. And that then brings us very Clearly, to the second part, he takes these two truths, which he've stated in a general way, and notice that the word us in verse 4 is in italics, so the literal Hebrew is just, you have commanded to keep your precepts diligently, and you could as well say, you have commanded men to keep your precepts diligently as you have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. But then he takes these two truths and he says, he applies them to himself. And the very first thing he says in applying them to himself in verse 5 is, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. He longs to be in the position of keeping the commandments of God because there is blessedness, there is happiness, There he finds his proper place in life. His proper work. His proper function. His proper relation to God and to God's creatures. Life becomes fulfilling. Life becomes happy. Life becomes full. Life becomes blessed in the keeping of the commandments. Now, what we want to do then is look at the rest of those verses 6 7 and 8 and see how those also fit into this same idea this same theme that we've been developing here and i think what you have first in verses 6 and 7 is the psalmist describing that blessed blessedness and that happiness or the results of that blessedness and happiness a little bit more completely. The first thing he says is that in keeping the commandments and when I look into all your commandments, then I won't be ashamed. Then I would, would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. Why is this state of keeping the commandments a blessed and happy state because when he doesn't keep the commandments, and he knows this from his own experience, his sin is in the background here, he knows this from his experience, then he's ashamed. And we can cover this shame, of course, to ourselves. We can hide the shame from ourselves until we are standing in the presence of God. And when we stand in the presence of God, then our faces fall and we feel the shame of our sins. But he says, when I look into your commandments, that is, when I'm studying them, when I'm making them the goal of my life, when I'm regarding them, when I'm keeping them through all of my life, then I don't have to be concerned about being ashamed before God. Then my shame goes away. In the way of keeping the commandments, there is no shame. So that's the first part then of this blessedness, this blessed state that he is describing. And the second part of this blessed state then is in verse 7. I will praise you with all uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Notice again that he talks about learning the righteous judgments of the Lord. He's studying them, he's incorporating them into his thinking, he's forming his thinking and his way of life after them. He's learning them in the sense not only that he understands what they say, but he's learning them in the sense that he's learning obedience to them. And the result of this is first uprightness of heart. The learning of the commandments leads to uprightness of heart. And the uprightness of heart expresses itself in Giving praise, or better, here actually, giving thanks. I will give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Why is that state a blessed state? Because in that state of obedience to the commandments, we are giving thanks to God. And that's the purpose of our lives, isn't it? That's our function. That's what God created us for. To be giving thanks to him. And here we see, of course, what we call the second use of the law. First use is to show us our sins, and that's kind of in the background here. The second use is to define for us how we give thanks to God. To show us how we give thanks. And he says, learn the commandments. That's how you give thanks. In fact, I think we can go even further than that. And we can say, what he means here is, you give thanks by the very uprightness of your heart. Your uprightness of heart is your thanksgiving. I will praise you with uprightness of heart, or I will give thanks to you by uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. And then, finally, in verse 8, he promises, I will keep your statutes. Why? Because that's the way of happiness. I will keep your statutes because I want that blessedness, that happiness that comes to those who do it. And finally concludes by saying then, Who do not forsake me utterly. The recognition that he can't do it by himself. That this keeping of the commandments is not something that arises in his own heart. That it's not something he will do by his own efforts. That it's not something that uh, comes to him spontaneously. As he hears and considers the word of God, the natural inclination of the human heart is away from this blessed state And so he ends with prayer. Do not forsake me utterly. Keep me then. Be with me. In all this desire. In all this seeking. That I do. To keep your commandments. To conclude then about this section. Christ prayed it. This was Christ's prayer. Oh that my ways. Were directed. Or established. Might be better. Oh, that my ways were established to keep your statutes. There's a path laid out for him, our Lord Jesus Christ, and for us. It's a clear path. It's a path that's firm and stable, though narrow and difficult, The problem with our walking in that path is not that the path itself is slippery or that the path itself is not clearly marked or anything like that. The problem with our walking in that path is that our steps are not naturally established in it. But Christ prays, Oh, that my ways were established to keep your commandments. He said, it is my meat and drink to do my Father's will. And he saw the blessedness of walking in the way that his father had appointed him. That there would be in that way no shame. And ultimately he would in that way give thanks with an upright heart. And and this I think makes clear to us how different the words blessed and happy are. Christ we probably would not say, is, was happy during his earthly ministry. He had too much on his mind, too much trouble and suffering in his life to be called happy, at least in our usual sense of that word. But he was blessed. He was blessed. And he knew that for him, blessed blessing consisted in obeying the will of his father down to the depths of the grave. And we then, in praying, do not forsake me utterly. Look to him who has obeyed before us and who has obeyed for us in order to achieve that obedience which is blessedness. And we pray, do not forsake me in response to his promise I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will uphold us in the way of his commandments when we seek him, and we will be blessed. So that's the first part of the first stanza of the psalm. Let's look at the second stanza of the psalm now. I think here in the second stanza of the psalm, the theme is very clearly expressed in the first Verse verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? We can cleanse our way by taking heed according to his word. And then there are two parts to what follows. These two parts are pretty clearly distinguished by different tenses in the verbs. Notice in verses 10 and 11 and 13 and 14, the past tense. We'll come back to verse 12 as we work our way through the details. But 10, 11, 13 and 14. With my whole heart, I have sought you. In verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart. Verse 13, with my lips, I have declared. Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. So that's the second part of the stanza. And then verses 15 and 16 are in the future tense. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So that's how we, we're going to divide it, and we're going to consider this all in connection with that main idea How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Now the first question that comes up here, of course, is why does he talk about a young man? This, what he says here, applies to any man or woman, doesn't it? How can anyone cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Young, old, rich, poor, child or adult, um, man or woman, it makes no difference that truth applies to everyone, so why does he talk about a young man? And the commentators give us two different answers to that question. The first answer, of course, is that the psalmist is himself a young man, and he's really asking the question on behalf of himself. The question is really in his mind, how can I cleanse my way? But I'm a young man. So that's one possibility. Then there are the other, there's the other group of commentators who say, no, this is, this is an old man who's writing this. We don't know who the author was. There's no, nothing to indicate that. It's an old man who's writing it, but he's asking it on behalf of the young man. He understands that the young man is a man who's immature, who's not learned a lot of wisdom, who doesn't have a lot of experience in, in cleansing his way. And so... He's asking in order to instruct the young man. And as one then who has learned wisdom, who has understood the law of God, who has uh, been cleansing his way for many years and can speak from his experience then to this young man, he can say to him, look, not only does the Bible teach this, but in living according to the Bible, I found it to be very true. I can cleanse my way, by taking heed according to your word. And I think that if we take it that second way, and then uh, that it's an older man talking about a younger man, then we can understand verses 10 and following uh, a little better, though I'm not sure it makes a huge difference. But anyway, what he's saying then here is to this to this or about this young man about him cleansing his way he's implied God has provided the law the law does uh, shows us the way we should go the law judges us in our way the law tells us whether our way is unclean or clean the law tells us therefore whether we're on the right way or not on the right way and if we want to be on the right way then, and cleanse our way, then we need to listen to what the law says. We take heed according to his word. And When he says cleanse, when he talks about cleansing the way, it's implied again that he's sinful, that he's not one whose way is clean. And that he needs to apply this law, then, of God in order to make his way clean. And you can can talk about that cleansing the way as being both a present exercise. How can I cleanse my way now from the sin that exists in it? But also, how can I keep it clean in the future How can I keep from defilement and uncleanness in the future? And the answer to the question comes uh, very readily, very quickly after the question, how can a young man cleanse his way? Well, the psalmist doesn't hold us in suspense about the answer to the question. He says immediately, here's the answer to your question by taking heed according to your word. Now, let's understand that this is a, a question That he asks uh, regarding someone who is already regenerate. A young man who wants to cleanse his way. The question doesn't have any relevance for those who have no interest in cleansing their way. But if he has this desire to cleanse his way, then the question is one that makes him perk up his ears and say, yes, yes, I I understand that question. That's a question that I've asked myself many times. And I want to hear the answer to that question. But the response, the relevance of the question comes from his regenerated heart. And he's looking then, the psalmist is advising this uh, young man, to take heed to his way according to God's word. And remember, we talked about that word of God is including all the law, the ceremonies of the law too, to take heed to his way according to the ceremonies and to use those ceremonies as God has commanded him to use those ceremonies. And in the using of those ceremonies to seek Christ, the one whose way was clean, and whose cleanness of way qualified him to be the one to save us from the uncleanness of our ways. So he's saying, take heed according to your word, that is, take heed according to the whole of that word. That word talks about Christ. That word talks about him who was clean in all his ways. It talks about the one who was perfect and undefiled, Look into that law. Look into the ceremonies of that law. And see Christ. See the one who is perfect. And seek your perfection in him. Cleanse your way. In the one whose way is clean. And then. uh, The rest of the stanza. May seem at first glance to be. A little bit. uh, Out of sync with. That uh, theme. Of verse 9. But. There are a couple of possibilities and I don't think it makes too much difference how you understand it again. You could say, well, the psalmist as an older man is here talking to and about the younger man and he's saying, look, I have cleansed my way. That's what he says then in verses 10 to 14. So he's Putting himself before this young man as an example or he might be simply saying I as a young man will now exercise or an old man doesn't make any difference as a as a man as a, a believer I have practiced this in the past How shall a young man, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. I have done this. With my whole heart I have sought you. Your word I have hidden in my heart. I'm not going to go into detail about this, about those words. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. And he's talking here then about the fact that when... We obey the commandments. The commandments have a place not only in our heart and in our behavior, but have a place on our lips as well. We talk about them. We confess them, and we confess them to the praise of God and to the assistance of our neighbor. And he says in verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your commandments as much as in all riches. They have been as precious to me as riches have been. Even more precious, in fact. So I've treasured them, I've sought them, I have rejoiced in them, I have uh, hidden them in my heart, I have sought the Lord uh, by, in the way of his commandments. That's what he's saying, and this is, he has been cleansing his way in this whole practice that he's talking about here. But he adds a couple of other things here, too. Notice, he says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And notice the development here from the first stanza. The first stanza says, Blessed are those who keep his commandments. And now he says, I have sought the obedience to those commandments so that I might not sin, so that I can be in that blessed state of keeping the commandments. He prays in verse 10, Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Again, he recognizes that he can't do this by himself. He needs the Lord's help. So you get those things in there too. But then you come to verse 12, right in the middle of those four verses we've just been talking about. You have 10 and 11 about what he has been doing, 13 and 14 also about what he has been doing. And right in the middle of them, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. And that's, uh, again, it's not the way we write, it's not the way we think, it's not the way we try to instruct others by this. what seems to us a kind of uh, strange and uh, unusual way to present material. And we have to get used to thinking differently in order to understand this. But it's in the middle, which means he's attaching a lot of importance to it. And he's saying, he's stating one of these fundamental truths again Blessed are you, O Lord. And you can take that in two ways. First of all, of course, you may uh, take it as meaning the Lord is blessed by men and angels. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, you, his angels. You ministers who do his will. There's this blessing of the Lord that comes from his creatures. And he could possibly be talking about that. You're blessed by your creatures. But I don't think that's the idea. What he's talking about, I think, is the fact that the Lord is blessed in himself, in and of himself. He doesn't need his creatures to be blessed. He is the everlastingly blessed one. The eternally blessed the one who is the sum of all blessing, the sum of all happiness, the sum of all that is good, the sum of all that is upright, the sum of all righteousness and holiness. Blessed are you, O Lord, in that sense that you are the one who is in and of himself blessed, eternally blessed. And he talks that way because he recognizes that in order to be blessed with that blessed Lord, he needs to be like that blessed Lord. Teach me your statutes. And so he's saying, I've done all this, but it's not been of myself. My blessedness arises from you and my blessedness is in you. And everything good that I hope for in my life is with you. And I know that I must be in your commandments. I must be keeping your commandments to be like you and to be with you and to know that blessedness which you have in yourself. Teach me your statutes. And it's then on that basis, too, that he goes on to say in verses 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. He not only says he has been doing this in the past, but he intends to continue doing this in the future because that's the way of cleansing his way And that's the way of knowing the blessedness of the everlastingly blessed Lord. And again, of course, then we have to look to Christ, who is the perfect one, who throughout his whole life cleansed his way, kept his way free from all the defilement of sin, and who by his own perfect life Being obedient unto death made it possible for us to follow in his steps, to have the guilt of our sin removed, and to walk in the statutes of the Lord. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Who is Christ? Thanks.